Welcome to issue three of the Friction Comic Collection. Don't hate the player, hate the game. The climate decade requires rapid climate action and civil disobedience. There are three sustainability lessons in this comic. Number one, affecting systems change. You'll learn about the difference between protesting and disruption actually changing the rules of the game. Second lesson is purpose versus financial growth. And the third is be brave. And the acronyms here, impacting beyond just ourselves, being proud to be the crazy ones, creating the world we want to see and connecting deeply and enjoying impact and partnership. Be brave. Oh, the visionary lever scampers across a bed of hot coals, hot coals, and through the flame gate. As he looks up, he sees the crayon brush sky through the top of the biodome. He climbs the stairs, and as his wide eyes cross that stage horizon, up, 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 he sees the fire starters waving in eager anticipation. And as he comes off that final step and glides across the stage, he shares his spark with all of us. We are then transported into a whirlwind of inferno. As the humor heats up, he entertains and inspires and teaches us all how to live a meaningful life. Led by our fearless leaders, the fire starters kindle a campfire of conversation and collaboration for change, which we are about to do in just a minute. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Margaret Mead. The fire starters are one of these small groups affecting change. They have their work cut out for them though. And while a small group can break through the status quo, this doesn't mean we should tear down the status quo players. It is the game we should be disrupting and transforming into a more sustainable system for all. Welcome to a don't hate the player, hate the game philosophy. We will be releasing the full version of this comic and we're gonna give you a preview through conversation here in just a minute. But if you want access to this, sign up for our email experience and it will go live next Wednesday. And that is linktree slash viridescent with a dot between the TR and the EE. All right, shall we all jump around a campfire and have a conversation? And please, 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 everybody in the audience, come up on stage with us. If you just click the raise hand function, we'll bring you up onto the, the camera feed and participate in a group conversation with us. Um, and Tom's gonna take us through something that's calming. We've had some intensity the last couple of minutes here. So we're gonna do kind of a calming ritual to set this, the stage. Yeah. Over to you, Tom. Thank you, Chance. All right, so I'd like to ask all of you just to shake out any tension in your body. Get yourselves comfortable, shake out any tension, maybe shaking your arms a little bit. The legs just shaking out anything that's within you. It feels a bit uncomfortable. Okay. Until you're set in a really nice position. Feeling relaxed. 
Now I'd like you to take a deep breath in through your nose. Hold it. And out through your mouth slowly. Again, in through your nose. Hold. And out through your mouth slowly. And now you can breathe normally. I'd like you to feel into an intention if you're live with us now, an intention that you have for this conversation that we're about to have. Perhaps a feeling that you want to take in, maybe an action that you want to share, but focus on an intention. If you're listening to this as a recording, perhaps focus on an intention for a sustainable act that you want to take. The way that you want to feel going forward, having listened to this podcast. So as you focus on this intention, whatever it is, try to feel into a part of your body. Is there a part of your body where you feel this intention coming from? Just gently scan your body and see, is there a part that comes to the front when you think about this intention? Maybe it's your heart, maybe it's your chest, your belly, your neck, or your smile. Wherever, wherever it is, just feel into that. And allow that part to build up as you focus on it even more. And now what I'd like you to imagine is that this intention is just coming out of that part of your body in this beam of light. So you imagine this white, bright light beam is coming out from that part of your body out into the world. Seeing that white light come out from that part of your body and allow yourself to smile. Smile as you see yourself releasing this intention out into the world, into the universe. Bringing that change, that purpose out if you're listening in in the podcast or feeling that intention go out now if you're live with us. And smile, feel the joy now that you've released that intention to take forward with you. Hmm. You can take a deep breath in through your nose. As you sigh, just imagine that intention going out into the world. As you breathe out, ah, sending that intention out into the world. Now you can just feel your feet on the ground, contact with your chair if you're sitting down. Hear the sounds around you in your space and just gently come back to the room, come back to this present moment. And in your own time, 
you can just gently open your eyes. Thank you all for reflecting on your intention, which will bring us forth in this session and bring you forward in your life, your work as a change maker, sustainability champion, if you're listening. Now, what I'm going to do is I will symbolically light a match. And I will blow this intention out all of our intentions out into the universe. Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you everyone for contributing to that. All that peace and calm from the radical revolutionary that is the visionary lemur. How about that? <laughs> And we sit by a fire. Balance, yin and yang. All right, Tom, where do you want to take us? What do we want to talk about? I would be interested in our wonderful MCK who's taking the stage. You have listened to us for the last hour or hour and a half even. And I'd be interested in your thoughts on the conversation. Are there certain topics or themes that come out you would like maybe like to dig in deeper together? or maybe some questions that you have, yeah, feel free to, to share. Uh, yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, let's just, I can just think through some of the things that kind of came up for me and then, and then maybe pick one. Um, I mean, I like from the very beginning, you know, this idea of, you know, freedom to do things in your life that give you meaning. I think that is something that probably is all connecting us. Um, and a really important question to revisit and to and to think about, um, even if we might think that we are on that path. Chance, I love that question when you were asking, you know, how do you reach people that don't share your values? And I think, you know, Tom, when you were talking about safety and stability and how that means in a particular context, I thought that was quite powerful for me. I think the uh, like the names, like everybody has a name, you know, like, you know, Aurora is the change maker, you know, Tom's a visionary lemur, like um, Carl is the researcher, like everybody's kind of got their little things going on. I think that's just that that's like really interesting in like this viewerverse. Um, oh, Tom, there's one small thing I wanted to clarify with you uh, when, you know, Aurora was sure. talking about how you know, it's about owning and naming parts of ourselves, um, which I thought was like a really interesting comment and like a more general thing. And then you said either owning the compliment or the confidence that is given to you. Which C word were you using? Oh, um, so firstly, I, I really love that MCK that you took notes on this conversation, that you were so diligently listening in and that you found this so valuable that you thought I'm, I'm going to capture some of these things. I really appreciate that and it shows your attentiveness and so so thank you for that it gives you know sh shows something that, of what you believe about this event and what we're saying so that thank you thank you for that and um in a way i'm creating a compliment for myself here from you um as you see, <laughs> which is very meta of what we're saying right now so i am i am you meant to use the words to to actually um what c word did i use um 
Um, you say C word in English, that sounds bad, but um, yeah. <laughs> I think I think, it's I, think being... I think it's confidence and compliment, right? Somebody <laughs> seeing something that they appreciate and enjoy, which is a compliment. And yeah. when that happens, it builds your confidence, right? To me, it's exactly. Like a, they're, they're sort of intertwined. Definitely. So, so, so we live in a system which is predicated on making people feel like they're not enough. Because if you felt mm. like you were enough, why would you work harder? Why would you buy more things? Why would you be mm. striving for more and, and financial maximization if you felt like you were enough as you were? And so mm. I think because of that system and, and that such a strong, powerful, disempowering belief, which is so prevalent, we find it very difficult to accept praise on our behalf if someone says that we we are enough or gives us a compliment and we're almost um, so intuitive, intuitively used to saying, um, to downplaying that compliment, right? If someone says, oh, your shirt looks nice. It's like, ah, oh, no, it was only 20, 20 bucks from this second-hand thrift store, right? It's like, it's like the instant response, it's like you instantly downplay it. Um, and that's because of, of those beliefs that we have. And almost to say that you accept that and to say which is what you, what you should or what I would advise you to say is, is thank you. Yes, thank you. That, that's all you need to say, um, need to say. Um, and um, so I think people should should own the compliments given to them because you're also honoring the other person as well. You're also validating their feelings and to say to say no and to push it back is, is almost invalidating their, their opinion. Um, so it's, it works both ways. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's probably also where I was thinking, like, in my mind, I was like, oh, I think kind of like you were saying, Aurora, you know, oh, I think they are connected. So I wonder where the starting point was. And I know we can weave them together, but yeah, so that's cool. That's a, um, yeah, I like that. The, oh, the other question, what's your biggest piece of advice for a radical revolutionary? Or you kind of said it a little bit differently, but that's kind of how I was processing. I love that part, uh, Chance. Um, and I think that don't hate the player, hate the game getting people to think in a more systems kind of a way is really cool because i think one thing and maybe this is for us to um maybe a thing to expand on it yeah yeah but you know I, I i mean i do think about that you know this idea like wow yeah it really is hard you know you think everybody's pointing fingers at each other or at least away from themselves um we can't do it only by ourselves, only on our own. But yeah, like these systems that were, I, yeah. I thought this part of the conversation was really interesting of just like thinking about the systems and you going off and doing your thing with the sandwich board and saying like, hey, I know, I know what's in my rights. I know that everybody else, I mean, I guess a reason why people look at Greta is because she does things out in public. Yeah. Maybe people aren't doing enough out in public and I think one thing that I was thinking about in this conversation was it's really easy. And this goes back to what you were saying about um, like the in-person, like one of your 12 values about um, being in person. Um, yeah, real, real connection happens in person. One of my principles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Real connection, real connection happens in person. And I sort of, I've had this kind of like back and forth too, because like, I think I've met some people, you know, during the pandemic, um that's been really special for me um and really awesome and i mean chance yeah. you know even that chance and i had a chance meeting in uh you know in a clubhouse room and you know i thought he had a pretty good vibe and we sort of kept this until i've been able to make it here today 
um, which I'm really grateful for. So there are kind of relationships like that that I think have been great. But yeah, it's like we have these people, politicians, you know, other people who are, you know, thought leaders and whatnot, you know, they can just say something and that ultimately ends up affecting our lives in ways, but they will never show up for us. Uh, they they will never be there for us in person. What would you like to, to dive into here? Because I, I see you're on this thought train, MCK, and I'm enjoying like <laughs> sharing this. So you're talking about the partly you're talking about the no blaming and shaming thing, which which is interesting to dive into. But we've also got here like the connection happens in person thing and, and really like being there for each other. So I, I, I'm going to pick the no blaming and shaming thing and dive into that because I think that's interesting to expand the problem. We can talk about right. connection, right? We can weave Let's it in. Let's do it. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that because I think in this is something that, that many change makers have difficulty with, right? So um, I've, I've been living in the Netherlands now for nine years away from my family who live in the UK. Um, when I was a student, I would always fly back to the UK rather than take the Eurostar train, which goes through from uh, through Paris and, and is about 5% of the emissions of a flight. Don't quote me on that figure, it's something around that. Why did I do that? Well, because the train is three times the price of a flight ticket and I was a student with very little, relatively little money, right? Um, but nowadays I have the privilege to be able to buy that train ticket, whereas I didn't before and, and save on carbon and live more according to my values. Um, so one of the Extinction Rebellion principles is no blaming and shaming, right? Because mm -hmm. what you see is that if you would try to be the ultimate person, ultimate vegan um, environmentalist who would live by all your principles, you would go out and live in the nature and farm your own food and would never be able to get in a car or go anywhere outside of your little village. That would be the ultimate low carbon lifestyle. But that's just completely unrealistic in this system that we live in right now. And you see activists like Greta Thunberg who make a point um, by you know taking the the boats um, famously from um, Europe to New York. I think a, a couple of years ago she did that to try not to fly to avoid that. Um, um, but um, her team, all, of course, all flew over, right? Which you don't you don't say. Um, so I think this is a key thing: we need to stop blaming and shaming and beating people up because we're all living within that system. You know if. For the last 30 years, we'd really had R&D going into hydrogen planes. Maybe I would still be able to fly to the UK on even cheaper emissions than the train. So I think that's something that's super important. We need to stop pointing fingers for not being vegan or taking the plane, um, particularly for people who are ordinary citizens who don't have the power and the money of, of uh, political leaders or, or business leaders. So, something I'd offer in here too, I just attended a conference in San Diego called Sustainable Brands and very much about this weird intersection and this kind of gray area that these people op operate in there. They're very much entrepreneurs, right? They're working inside mega corporations that, and they're trying to figure out how to flip this so that we are disrupting the status quo, but also playing nice with stakeholders and all that. It is not an enviable position to be in. It's really difficult, it's admirable, but it's really hard. One of the things I heard in there that I just absolutely loved is I attended a session on the idea of regenerative leadership. And it was talking about how, um, you know, this idea of regeneration is becoming a really important kind of trigger trendy catchphrase sort of word in sustainability. So let's break it down so it's a little bit more understandable. Really all it is is a mindset and an approach to help 
heal, rebuild, um, rebalance, recenter. So very much in the environmental side, it's about planet, right? Letting the planet heal itself, doing things as humans to kind of set up the planet to be successful, right? Um, but when it comes to people and regenerative leadership, I think one of the best things that we can do is we can figure out and learn how to work with as many people as we can, right? And reach as many people as we can. And I think that one of the reasons why we have not gotten far enough along in the development or redevelopment of a more sustainable world is because it started in a kind of radical revolutionary sort of approach and that affected great change. I mean, just the Beatles alone brought an entirely new wave of, of energy. Uh, Marvin Gaye is another one that was huge during the Vietnam War and gave a voice to rising up to meet these challenges. Muhammad Ali, all these things, those things are necessary. And that provided a huge wave and spark of change, but we didn't keep the fire burning. We didn't keep it lit. We didn't keep it moving forward. And then we came into the kind of 90s into the into like 2000 and we started to have this messaging around climate change and it became it was driven by climate scientists which can be hard for people to understand or relate to because they're very highly educated and they're thinking on the biggest levels and how the earth works and all that but two it was also led by a politician in al gore right with an inconvenient truth and those things it all became political and it all got wrapped up and you had the status quo, certainly those in power on other spaces, casting doubt on the science to protect interests and in fossil fuels and all that thing, all those things, right? I think we miss something. I think we miss this piece of trying to meet people where they are and offer them the ability to participate. And then you create this regenerating sort of cyclical sort of system that, that can work. And so I love this idea of like kind of not blaming and shaming this and that, whatever. But I went up and I asked a question to the woman that presented this session at Sustainable Brands. And I, I asked her, I said, you know, how can we make this type of philosophical high level thinking sort of um, approachable for some, for people that might not understand it from either an education standpoint or they're highly educated, they might understand it, but they don't want to. How do we reach them? And her and I talked back and forth a little bit and where we landed was this very simple thing. I say a whole lot of nonsense and then I'm gonna boil it down to one sentence, boom, bang. <laughs> Tom knows it well and he's, I can see the look on his face, he knows it. <laughs> Just say it at the beginning, you dumbass, right? No, um, context, I love context, no. And I'm still doing it. All right, here we go. So one sentence, don't be afraid to knock people over, but catch them before they fall or let them fall and then pick them back up, right? Don't be afraid to make people uncomfortable. But wow. have their back when they get weird. And they probably might be nice to you, but be nice to them. Yeah. Well, well thank, thank you, Chance. Um, brings me to a couple of things. You know, one is that progress doesn't happen without conflict. And that's that's just a rule of progress nature. and change in society. Then Nature's nature, the same way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think. One thing that triggers me to think about is the grieving process that I believe everyone needs to go through to truly understand the magnitude of this climate and ecological crisis, which is that I think 
many people they they may have read reports about the climate crisis they watch they watch the news they know about the climate crisis they've heard about it but there's a big difference between like knowing about it and internalizing it and feeling it and internalizing what does this actually mean for my future okay so maybe my children will suffer maybe my children will go hungry maybe there'll be shortages in the food supply maybe the country where i live in will be in an underwater in 50 60 years time here in the netherlands right and i think many people are not at that stage yet and it's feels very almost saddening for me when i give these talks about the climate and ecological crisis to have to like start this grieving process for many people um, to help them take that red pill and realize okay this is this is what is happening. This is the, the consequences, and and I think many people they think they they know they think they understand it, but I I believe that if you've not really been through that grieving process, if you haven't, I think people approach this in different ways. But I think most people, you need to cry about this. You you need to feel anxious about this, um, which is really sad to do. And if you haven't felt that, you probably probably. Um, don't really get it you probably don't really get what's happening uh, and how it's going to affect your life and your children's life in my in my opinion um, and so i think in that way you're creating conflict and your people are falling over but once they've done that you've got to pick them back up as you said chance you've got to show them this is happening but we can actually make changes we can find meaning in the suffering and we can actually come together and and do something about this and this is what we're going to do. Can I interject something in into the conversation that we haven't really addressed? And that's the word justice in all of this. Because when we talk about the systems and needing to tear apart the systems and rebuild them, it makes me think of a conversation I had right after that climate report came out. It's been what, maybe six, eight weeks ago or so. And uh, I was on a something like this kind of a meetup, casual conversation thing. And there was someone who was really intense about it. And I was thinking it, it caught, it came to mind because you were talking about like this grieving process and people internalizing it. And some people have really internalized it. Like they took social media and they're just like, ah, you know, and, and I, and I respect wherever people are in that sort of space and that journey. And I, I love the use of, of grief as a framework for us to think about how we're going to process and move through this. Uh, it's a, a, a one type of theory of change, right? So uh, this person was talking about, you know, we must change immediately. And her sort of system answer was in the, at least in the events space, because this was an events, sustainable events um, discussion, was to require all vendors to do a scope three analysis. If you're not familiar with the scope three analysis, it's looking at all of the carbon emissions in your supply chain. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> because I'm working on this initiative to try to really drive procurement with small to medium businesses, particularly those that are disadvantages, disadvantaged being you know, women, BIPOC, other groups that are, tend to have, have a lot of barriers and a lot of challenges uh, starting and growing businesses. You can't, like they don't even know what scope three means. Like sophisticated global corporations aren't even doing full scope three analysis. So like, what are you even talking about? So I think we have to really be careful when we're talking about 
systems. We're talking about the luxury of even grieving and thinking about these things, right? That when we include the justice part of climate justice, you're opening up an entire world of like, what about all those people who for, forget your children and the country they're going to live in 20 years? These people are living it now. They are climate, you know, migrants and, and climate refugees today. And I think that, you know, we have to, at the same time, we're trying to think about how we're going to shift the, the systems for the future. Like, how do we offer immediate relief like those people like we like how do we catch them before they fall how do we reach them so i'm just wondering tom in your work like how how maybe you've encountered the climate refugee aspect how you've adjusted obviously you're a, a proponent of justice i can just feel that from the vibe of who you are as a human but just wondering if you have some more specific activities or thoughts around that piece of it yeah so um super important points that you mentioned of course i talk about it in the future how are you going to deal with this but it's the crisis is now people are suffering now people are dying now all over the world and um yeah i mean you know so the second demand of extinction rebellion is to be net zero by 2025 in a just and fair manner um and the just and fair manner part okay how do we do something that's done in a fair way Right. And, you know, you look at the policies that are coming out of COP now, where there's going to be billions of dollars given to um, the global south to help manage that transition. And that's that's good progress. And that's important things to, to be done. But if you look more about how as Extinction Rebellion, how do we envision this justice part like practically happening is we have our third demand, which is really defining how are we going to get to net zero by 2025, because that seems ridiculous it seems impossible to net zero 2025 worldwide how how would you do that and um, the way that we see that is to have a citizens assembly in each country around the world so what a citizens assembly is is you take a representative sample of a population so let's imagine that you have 100 people in this assembly so you maybe have 51 women 49 men people of all different backgrounds um, um, different uh, education levels, different um, um, occupations, all different parts of the US if we make it uh, US, right? Um, and then they meet for a series of weekends over a certain period of time, and they are informed by different stakeholders and experts and scientists, which would include workers who work at um, fossil fuel companies, right? Uh, even maybe one or two climate change deniers, if you have those folks, but they're informed by all the different stakeholders, all the different people there, and it's a facilitated debate. So rather than um, a Twitter spat that happens, it's really like you have proper facilitators coming and facilitating a critical thinking, critical dialogue to basically define how we're going to reach net zero by 2025. And they're given a mandate by the government to say, if a certain amount of your proposals pass a certain percentage, we will implement them. So it's not not through Congress, not through Parliament, not through the Senate, just implemented. Um, and it's given that mandate, which is super important. Um, so they have these discussions, they come up with proposals, uh, and then they vote on those proposals about what, what to do. And this um, assembly has been used in other um, social justice issues like abortion. It was done in Ireland uh, about five, I think about five years ago or so. And what you found was actually that the citizens were far more progressive or radical than um, Parliament expected they would be because they were actually informed about the issue. So they could see 
past their own biases, which in, in Ireland is a very religious um, country, was often based around, around those sorts of beliefs. And they could see past that, and they actually could think critically and discursively with each other. And you've had citizens' assemblies on the climate in France most, most recently, um, but they have not been given a fair mandate because the proposals were still going to be decided by the president whether to implement them or not. So uh, France came up with some very, I think, pretty like decent proposals, pretty reasonable proposals, like um, banning all advertisements from fossil fuel companies, just banning all of them, right? Or limiting the speed on the highway, because if you limit it to a certain amount, then you uh, greatly reduce CO2. So pretty, pretty reasonable proposals, um, but only 10% of the proposals were actually implemented because fundamentally, those in power would be less needed if we would accept that citizens are well, well informed and in a facilitated environment can make good decisions. So it's also an ego thing to not trust citizens. So that's why they don't do that, I, I think. So we have to disrupt the system and force them to let citizens decide. And the advantage of this system is, of course, you get past the corporate lobby, you get past um, the one progressive or sorry, centrist senator, um, the Democrats who's holding back Biden's entire agenda for the entire country and the entire planet, right? Um, and you get past this sort of four-year or five-year electoral cycle, right, where you you can't where you can can't think long-term because we've got to get elected. Even two-year cycle of the midterm system that you have in, in the states, right? Um, and so that's like how I see justice being reached because you've actually got people from different minorities at the table. Um, having that dialogue and you can imagine you know all of this coming together afterwards of all the different countries with their assemblies all with kind of similar mandates uh, ultimately bringing the um, targets that we need the measures that we need to get to net zero to limit warming to 1.5 degrees to pretend, uh, prevent the catastrophe um, that's net zero 2050 um, would give us according to science um, so that's long answer to the justice issue. So if you want to learn more, Google Citizens Assemblies, re research that. But for me, Citizens Assembly is the closest we've got to a silver bullet to address this, this crisis. MCK, what do you have on this? Any thoughts that this is triggered? Yeah, I mean, I thought that, I mean, that's a really cool idea. And I mean, I think the question that I was thinking about, and I mean, it kind of goes back to, you know, the question that we were talking earlier about, you know, how do you get others to, you know, to see this other side or how do you get others to change or, you know, to be a part? I think the like extended version of that question in this case is maybe, Tom, you're suggesting that people, you know, haven't been able to get in touch with that emotional side of what might actually happen. Um, what is the difference between someone who has felt that emotionally and the person who still is yet to feel that emotionally? It's a great question. Um, so firstly, why do people not feel it emotionally, right? You know, there's many, very, many, many smart people who have read the science, who have read the reports, and why don't we feel that? Well, it's just how we're wired as humans. We're wired to avoid pain and seek pleasure and keep our, head in the sense, keep our head in the sand. And that's largely why I think we have not made progress on reducing CO2 emissions over the last 30 years, right? Because we avoid that. We don't want to feel that. It's painful to feel that. So why, so why would we? We're not wired that way. And, that, and this is why you need a paternalistic state to come on the TV, come on the radio and say, 
we are in the middle of the largest crisis that our species has ever faced. And this is the reality. This is what's going to happen. This is what, and this is what we're going to do. And that's in a way what happened with the pandemic, right? You had governments come up and basically overnight countries shut down. We said, we're really sorry. This is the truth. This is the reality. This is what we, we need to do. Uh, and that's, that's real leadership. And, um, basically the adults, the leaders in the, in the world, as Greta said, they're not mature enough to say it as it is. That would take real leadership to tell people how bad things were. And they're not, they're not doing that um, because of the system that we're in, because of this, this five-year electoral cycle that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, and so the difference between someone who's faced up to that and not, I mean, for me, it was a bit of a coincidence that I was you know, able to find out about Extinction Rebellion just because I'm from the UK and, and attend one of their talks. And Extinction Rebellion started in the UK, so they're very big there. And so I heard about that, was able to attend one of their talks, which was delivered very, very well by an experienced speaker. Um, so I could really feel it at an emotional level and was asked to reflect about, okay, what did that mean for my future? And, and, um, and also around kind of open-mindedness, I guess to allow yourself to feel certain emotions and certain vulnerability that it takes to kind of run into the fire and, and feel that. Um, and, and that takes a bit, you know, certain privilege I've, of, of, to be vulnerable, to have security, to have stability in your life. Um, it's a bit like if you're in a very insecure environment, you wouldn't want to look, look into this. You would even be even less likely to do that. It's like as a child, right? You don't even, really question the competence of your parents so at least i didn't and i held them up as perfect human beings which they're not because to question that to question that as a child as a 10 year old boy to question that your dad is maybe wrong about some things would mean that you are at the mercy of a human being who's imperfect and you're you're and and things are uncertain and unsafe which you're not wired to do um so it also takes again a certain amount of privilege like as i have to be in a stable life where everything's going right for me really to, to be in a position where I, I can be vulnerable and can pro accept and feel that, that pain. So Tom, I'd love to jump in um, and offer a, a point on my, of my own on this, this kind of point, and then pivot us to, we have a surprise for MCK for joining us up on stage. Actually, we're going to take you through a little immersive sustainability. So I'm just going to tease that. And Tom knows I like a good tease. Um, but before I do, in hearing and listening, I love your your comment in the chat, Aurora. Um, when science and facts don't align with deep-seated beliefs and values, rather than a journey of exploration and understanding the way we all have, as I assume, most people shut out what doesn't fit. Hmm. So I want to offer a, a kind of weaving upward and climb from this idea of Tom's call to action as an individual that is safe and secure and using that, use that, wield that, do something with that, do something. I want to climb the stair up to the top of these big companies. And I want to do it in the framing of what sustainability actually means, because I think that we've done a poor job as a sustainability movement too, though we're trying, we're trying to be a bridge between opposing views and different things. Sustainability is not about costing people their jobs. It is not about a company losing money to a point where it doesn't 
have the ability to operate anymore. What we want from you, from you big, big companies and the incredibly intelligent, innovative, smart, great leaders that are at the top of these companies, use your power, your resources, do something. This weaves back to our conversation earlier with Aurora and the scope three emissions that requiring all vendors to have scope three analysis, not being super fair or accessible for people at the so-called bottom of our capitalistic mountain here. Let's turn this into a cycle where you as part of the, the cycle, maybe the one that's spinning the strongest, you have the power, you have the resources, set the model, fix this, do something you have everything at your capability and you have people in your organization that would be that would absolutely love and be inspired to help you figure this out go to somebody that you know has a passion for even just a tiny piece of this and say hey can you figure out what the hell scope carbon emissions are and how we are going to do anything build anything don't tell us you can't and don't don't accuse us of wanting to take away people's jobs. We want to promote, evolve, and mature people's growth along the way. And who knows, maybe you'll pick up a few new people along the way too. That doesn't mean pushing people over the mountain. It's a cycle that is spinning and regenerating itself. Do something, <laughs> please, and thank you. <laughs> okay. Wow, that is so well said, Chance. That's my rant for today. I feel like I, I needed to get that out because it was bubbling. I felt it. It was flickering in this fire here, and I had to pour some some more sustainable fuel than gasoline on the fire. Um, okay. MCK, we would like to take you through an exercise to help you build and meet your sustainability alter ego character. Are you down? Are you game for this? It's not too scary, I promise. Yeah, all right. <laughs> so you mentioned something about, right, I am I am the designer and uh, Aurora is the change maker. Tom is the visionary lemur. Oh, he doesn't have it probably on his Zoom account, but you've seen it. Yeah, there's Tom Marshall. That's the visionary lemur right there. You got those wide <laughs> eyes right there with the glasses. Yes, sir. All right. So I'm going to let Aurora guide this and and tom too they're going to kind of facilitate the conversation ask you three questions and as you do that i'm going to do some designing um and kind of wield my alter ego and then we'll have something for you to look at here in a few minutes so Chance, um, do you have a preference here. of where i start or you want me to just yeah animal nature element okay weekend. that's what i thought but i didn't know if you wanted me to surprise you and just change it up okay so MCK. First of all, can I can I just get like maybe a because this could help with the context. I know it certainly did with the way Chance designed my alter ego and Tom's. Can you give us a couple of minutes of like kind of who are you? What do you do? Where do you live? I don't I've never met you before. So just maybe just a little mm -hmm. bit of, of that piece of it. Yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up in a place called a magical place called Gilderland, New York. Uh, it's in upstate New York and uh, it's close to Albany, which is the capital. Uh, I spent most of my adult life living in China. Uh, I was living in Beijing, a big city, uh, but I also spent some time in a, uh, in a small village in Yunnan province, which is kind of like 
So China and America, they're kind of about the same size. It's like the Arizona of China. It's in the Southwest, um, but an incredible place that has amazing environmental diversity as well as people diversity. Uh, and, uh, hey, can I just say, this is crazy. This is a crazy small world connection. A social mm -hmm. entrepreneur that I've been mentoring for five years, she's an American mm -hmm. who lives in Yunnan province. She is Amazing. a beekeeper and she's married mm -hmm. to a Tibetan man and lives there. And she works with rural village uh, farmers to teach mm -hmm. them to raise honeybees. And I've never been there to visit, but that's my dream is to visit her in her element over there. So I think mm -hmm. that's just crazy. When you said Yunnan province and you're describing it, I'm like, I know exactly where that is, at least on a map. So that's- Does, she live, does she live in Shangri-La or Zhongdian? Huh? Does she live What's in Shangri-La or Zhongdian? Uh, the second one, I think, because <laughs> I don't know. Oops. The words are a little bit challenging sometimes to pronounce. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, very cool. I, I may have heard about her only because uh, a friend of mine went north at one point and, uh, and met a foreigner who was a beekeeper. Yep. Um, she's, she's blonde with blue eyes and very, she stands out in, in Western China for sure. Yeah. So not, not, yeah, not, not too many of those folks uh, hanging out beekeeping up there. So yeah, that's very cool. It's yeah. Yunnan is this you know, because the top is kind of like the Tibetan plateau and the bottom is kind of like Southeast Asia. So it was really, really magical, um, uh, different kind of magic than Gilderland, New York. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty cool to spend time there and uh, be there. So yeah, um, I love um, things that are really important to me is, uh, is communication, uh, connection, um, helping people to improve their relationships, helping people to the relationships with others as well as with themselves. Um, I like bringing people together for unique experiences, um, that getting them thinking a little bit differently or interacting a little bit differently. Um, what else? Um, and your, I love your bright colors. Is, what's your uh, profession? My profession is around communication. So helping entrepreneurs to improve communication with others and with themselves. Awesome. So, well, then let's jump into some of these elements for your alter ego, alter, alter ego. Wow, that sometimes trips off the tongue, doesn't it? What is your favorite animal or what's your spirit animal? What do you identify with? Um, that's a good question. Um, What is my spirit animal? I don't, I don't know. Um, Are there animals it, that you just like? That you yeah, just, find, just like, yeah, this is a cool animal. You're super into it. They look cool. They're fun. What, you know what? Yeah, anything, right? Doesn't have, don't put so, too much pressure. No, don't pressure. Here. So I'm looking at a squirrel outside and I'm just thinking of, you know, the nature of my personality sometimes, you know, that funny joke uh, when you're kind of like going off onto a tangent or you're like, somebody talks about something you're like, whoa, squirrel. You know, like, uh, so why don't we choose squirrel as my spirit animal? <laughs> awesome. I Amazing. love it. I love it. Squirrel. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Shiny object syndrome a little bit, right? <laughs> you know, I think many of us fall victim to that sometimes. So this is a fun joke to take forward, I think. I love it. I love it. All right. 
What about nature? What is your favorite nature element? Um, it has to be one of the five, like no, fire, water, no, no. Wood, so it could or... be anything, right? It could be a particular flower trees the sky winds yeah anything truly any sort of like little anything element be a blade of grass yep. yeah a blade of grass even anything yeah uh, um mushrooms tell us more about that many reasons some the ones that i will I mean, I guess so. You know, I saw this um, this documentary recently, Fantastic Fungi. Uh, you may have oh, seen isn't that it. great? So, I was I was thinking between like trees and mushrooms um, because I think both of these, you know, have these really incredible things about them. And I think the one thing you know about Fantastic Fungi for me was that you can't really you can't really eat a tree. But, you know, trees are these incredible things. They're all different shapes and sizes. They're all different species. They're all of these kinds of things. And I think that's what where mushrooms takes to the next level. It's like mushrooms are all of that. Incredible, diverse range of species. They grow everywhere at any, you know, place and time. Um, and they're both, uh, they're, they're meant to heal and to help and to like do all these like beautiful things. So I think mushrooms is this like awesome thing. It's like, you eat them in their regular states, you eat them in their, you know, other states, um, you, some of them you don't want to touch because, you know, it's really not a good idea, you know, to have those. So there's like a little bit of that, you know, danger element, or it's like, you know, it's not a perfect thing, you know, there's other things too, but, you know, the poisonous like elements fire, also plays right? its role. Fire is a beautiful thing, but you can't touch it, right? Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think mushrooms is my favorite natural element and uh That's awesome i love it so what about your sustainability beacon sort of the north star the thing that keeps you centered and focused and inspired and moving forward uh and so just like um can you can we talk a little bit more about that or like how to think about going yeah, about well, can, yeah, go ahead, Aurora. Let's yeah, give go some ahead. examples. I was going to say, Tom, um, you talk again about what you would say your sustainability beacon is. Yeah. So, about what what's a beacon is? A beacon for me is something that guides me on my journey. It's part of my philosophy as a sustainability champion. So for me, it's about doing the right thing regardless of the outcome. That's what Vaclav Havel is about, and Margaret mm -hmm. Mead. It's really about the power of community and doing things <coughs> together. So doing things together and doing things because they're right. So what's part of your kind of mm -hmm. philosophy of, that, that guides you in the way that you want to make change and be a sustainability champion? And, to and for me, two, mine was, as yeah, I, I, I don't know if you were on the call earlier, but mine is basically the fact mm -hmm. that it was the connection with the spiritual side that I was able to actually have congruency in my life with this talent mm -hmm. and love I have for business but also the spiritual part of me that felt like I was supposed to go and do this other thing, but all these gifts really kind of come together. So that was, that was mine. So it can, it's really 
a very broad question. It's whatever you want it to be, as most of these things are, but hopefully that helps give you a little bit of sort of guidance on that. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so I think, you know, when I think of kind of my superpower, I think about it as being present. Um, I also think that's something that I wish other people could be. And I think it goes back to what we're talking about. You know, if we were to actually listen to people and kind of like what's going on with them and what they're thinking about and what's, you know, happening with them, then that would give us a great opportunity to, to be able to make that change or to come together and to do things better together. Um, so presence, one conversation at a time, um, there's this beautiful balance with what you're saying because you're allowing mm. yourself the freedom to be squirrel, but also like <laughs> I'm here, I'm present, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, and that aren't, aren't we most, aren't most of us some sort of duality, some sort mm. of thing where we're like, how is it I am this and this? Like, <laughs> is anybody else the fact that I'm this and this and the same person, right? I think that that's, the, that's a beautiful thing about what you just described. That's hilarious. Uh, the present squirrel. Um. <laughs> that's it! That's it! That's it! That's it! That's it! Squirrel! <laughs>